Stork Talks. Welcome to Stork Talks with Zoe and Tom. The storks have been part of life in The Hague for centuries. Have you spotted one yet? Each week, Stork Talks delves into a range of stories, news and anecdotes. And for the next hour, we'll take you under our wings as we discover the city of peace and justice. This is truly a special place to live and we invite you to tune in and discover it with us each Thursday between 8 and 9pm on 92.0 Den Haag FM. Last week we heard from Polish protester Mila Kilam, who is leading the fight against changed abortion laws in her country here in The Hague. And for those of you who are following this story, it's important to mention that the Polish government has now suspended the passing of the proposed laws as a result of the widespread protest against them. And on the theme of human rights, sorry, I believe you spoke with another inspirational woman this week. I did indeed, Tom. So this week, our stalk of the week is businesswoman and entrepreneur Ibere Akadri. Now, she is originally from Nigeria, uh, but now lives in The Hague. And Ibere was a successful restaurateur in Nigeria and then became involved with training of the of trafficked girls who have been rescued here in the Netherlands. And her work with these young, vulnerable women inspired her to start a foundation called The Beauty in Every Life. I first spoke with Iberia about this initiative a couple of years ago here in The Hague, and she's now using her business and her culinary skills to take this inspirational project forward. Iberia, thank you so much for joining us today on Stalk Talks. Thank you so much, Zoe, for having me. <laughs> now, Iberi, the task that you've set yourself is not an easy one. And so I think we're all, uh, we all admire somebody who, who even tries to tackle an issue such as this. You told me just now a little bit about how you started or how the idea occurred to you. Can you tell, tell our listeners about that? It actually started with a volunteering experience you explained. Yeah, thank you so much. So uh, my stick to Beauty in Every Life uh, was set up first to kind of empower women and youths to just like the name implies, like there's beauty in there's potential in everyone that if we develop it, you know, people can uh, use those gifts in them to maybe set up a business and become financially independent. So when I came to The Hague, I, you know, I opened the kitchen where I was teaching people how to cook Nigerian food because of my background, because I owned you know, several restaurants in Nigeria before I moved here with my husband uh, about seven years ago. So it was during that opening of my restaurant that an organization in Amsterdam attended the event. And afterwards, they called me to find out if I could help them train some of the girls under their shelter on how to set up a restaurant. And I had no idea about human trafficking. It wasn't on my radar. But when I agreed to volunteer for three months, I was driving to Amsterdam every month, sorry, every week. And then I realized that these girls were rescued victims of human trafficking. And they were all from West Africa, you know, going there every week to train them and hearing their stories actually broke my heart. Mm. Um, I concluded that there is no dignity in being rescued from trafficking. There is no dignity in being trafficked no. in the first place. 
because I could see, you know, the trauma they've had to go through. The, it just didn't feel right. So it was at that point I decided that how, how can I help, you know, maybe it's better that I launch an initiative called Keep Dignity Alive uh, back home in Nigeria to even create awareness of the dangers of being lured to travel to Europe in the first place, uh, the dangers of human trafficking, and also to continue uh, training people to empower them to start maybe their own businesses or find a job to make it impossible for them to even want to follow these tricksters who bring them out here and subject them to this inhuman treatment. Yes. Now, Iberi, you mentioned that word, you use that word lured, which I think is exactly the right word. So even if you should be so lucky as to be rescued once you've been trafficked, it doesn't mean that everything is then all rosy and, and perfect. Uh, I use the word lured because for some people, they, if, I mean, if somebody convinces you to come over for a job or somebody offers you something that is rosy, and you say yes without knowing that the person has other plans. Okay, so that's like a bait, like luring people to do something, promising something, and when they get here, it's something else. And so, yeah, so many of them didn't know what they were coming to see or what they will face when they arrive. And some of them don't actually survive. Some of them don't make it. Some of them have not been rescued. Uh, so the stories are quite um, horrifying. You know, nobody wants that. You can't even imagine it, to be honest, what the kind of stories I heard. And yes, when they even when they are rescued, the host governments, they don't easily give them papers or documents to be settled. And some of them are also feeling so ashamed to go back home. So it's a dilemma. They feel un- unwelcome on both sides, basically. On both sides, yeah, on both sides. It's not as easy as people think until you come in contact with the with these rescued victims and then you hear their stories and uh, then it's, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. I, I can only imagine. Okay, so perhaps then to, to focus on something a bit more positive, which is what you're doing to to help. So you, as you said, you started an organization in Nigeria, but you also began a stichting here in the Netherlands, a foundation, as you've already told us. And so these two sort of work together. And I know you've told me that you've been using Corona time to be very industrious and productive, and you've got plans uh, for early next year. So tell us more about that. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, I had to launch a cookbook just to sell, get some proceeds to be able to train some of the young girls Mm. back home in Nigeria. And I couldn't do it myself. I mean, we two years ago, I was in Nigeria and we had a big event where we invited the NAPTIP chairman, you know, which is the body in charge of preventing human trafficking and all the medias just to create awareness about the dangers. And um, after that, we had to hire a consultant to do some trainings for some uh, uh, young ladies in uh, Edo State. But because, you know, because I'm not there, I just 
was thinking of how can I get more involved. So during this coronavirus, I figured out that so many people now use uh, the internet. So we started creating um, a virtual entrepreneurship bootcamp so that I can personally be a part of the training and also get more people to help to train, to mentor uh, young ladies and also young men, mm. you know, mm. in Nigeria to equip them to be able to uh, learn the skills, the resources, and maybe if possible funds to start their own businesses. So that's what we've been working on and it's going to be launched early next year. Uh, in 2021. So right now we are in the process of developing uh, the curriculum, but the everything we are doing, the entire program is already on the website. Okay. So, so that's really, I think it's an excellent idea. Um, as you said, it's, if our listeners want to know a little bit more, they can, they can go to your website. You've already mentioned it. And can you just tell us again what that is and, and where they can find that? Yeah, they can visit... Uh, beautyineverylife.org www.beautyineverylife.org so if you go there that's the first page (laughs) that's the program we're about to launch so if people want to support us we have they can fill the form they can select how many people they want to sponsor to attend this program and we would reach out to them Excellent. So that means you can actually, as an individual, you could choose to sponsor a particular particular person, yeah? Exactly, yes. Great, great. that sounds great. Okay, well, uh, I, you know, I think it's important to always to stay, stay, stay positive, and I think we're all learning that more and more in corona times. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that's, that's, a, that's a good place to end. But uh, last quick question, uh, any other plans for, for another cookbook? Because I know how good your cooking is and, <laughs> and I know your last cookbook went down well. So I just wondered if you, if in your very many um, projects that you've got running, is, are there any thoughts on that one? You know, I also do other things, sorry, like the uh, Rise and Lead Women I, I know, I know. <laughs> I continue to sell the books and, you know, keep donating the money to the organization. Uh, but yes, I'm sure, you know, giving me some ideas, maybe I have to come up with another cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, then we we will ask you back to Stalk Talks because we have a hospitality uh, segment every week, and that's something that my colleague Tom does. So okay. we're thrilled to talk to you in that capacity as well. But, but nice. all in good time. All in good time. <laughs> no pressure. Thank, thank you so much for joining us today on on Stalk Talks. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. <laughs> What I like so much about the interview, because like you said, there's two parts of the interview. There's the, the the initiative itself and then the relation to hospitality. And I think I want to comment on two of them because I really like both aspects of it. First of all, the way she says, well, there, there's, of course, the step after they're being rescued. How do you make sure that they can reintegrate, that they can have a life that is fulfilling, that they get the opportunities that they deserve? And simultaneously, how hospitality is a fantastic way to do that because there's such a number of soft skills and general competencies that are just valuable to the future. Absolutely, Tom. I mean, I think, well, as we know, food is such a central part of life and it brings people together and it's something truly universal. So I think this is something that Iberi has really, she's used all of her expertise in this area 
and she's using it to do something really special and to help um, young vulnerable people who could otherwise have a perfectly good life. So I, I think that is, yeah, it's it's great to learn about these sorts of initiatives. Yeah, and I think it's also powerful, the fact, like, she says she didn't intend to, to, to start out this way, but she stumbled upon it. I think there's a sort of a beauty in that as well, that if, if you keep your eyes open and you keep your arms open in this case, you might stumble upon someone who needs help and then you'll you'll find a way to do that. And I think that is that is a wonderful attitude to say, well, hey, I noticed there's this problem. How can I help or how can I contribute to it for my position as a restaurateur and entrepreneur? Exactly. I mean, I think if we were all doing that, the world would definitely be a very different place. Yeah, let's let's hope that we get another chance to do that as soon as things go uh, a bit back to normal and that uh, the restaurants and hotels and, and all the hospitality-related stuff uh, opens up again. Mm, absolutely. Stark Talks. On the note of hospitality, um, the, the second part of this show is always filled with hospitality segment and today is no different. Sometimes you get people who are just born to be interviewed who are characters, so to say. And fortunately for me, that was the case with the owner of the British lunchroom here in The Hague called Scallywags. And the owner is called Richard. Of course, hindered by the corona, but still a proud supplier of high tea in these trying times. Um, I had this pleasure of speaking uh, with Richard about all things tea-related. And the first question that I asked him was, what is Scallywags? Scallywags is an oasis where people can come and chill. And in this pandemic, I feel so sorry. They can't come and chill. They can come and take away. And when we reopen, they can come back and sit and enjoy the atmosphere, enjoy the great food that we offer that we've been doing for the same for the last 27 years. And I think part of the charm of Scallywax is also you. I think you have become a symbol for, in this case, hospitality or, or British hospitality. I love good service. I think one of the reasons why we are still here in this order, good service, good food, and a reasonably good check in this order. I think uh, people know us with this. People also know that through at this time with uh, this corona COVID thing, it's difficult. But again, I'm so grateful that people support us. So, of course, the theme is, is in the broader of coffee and tea. I mean, how, how have you guys adapted to Corona? We do a lot of tea and coffee to go. People like our coffees. We do very good coffee. We're not a home-grown coffee house that you have in The Hague or in Amsterdam. I taste and test all our coffees. Our teas are tea leaf rather than um, tea bag, with the exception of the chai tea or special teas. Um, otherwise, it's all tea leaf. And people know they can get a nice cup of tea from us. So, so what does tea and coffee mean to you specifically? As a colonial child, it was actually just tea. I grew up in India, a mixture of parentage. Mum's British, English. I have to stress that because a lot of people don't seem to understand British could be Welsh, Scottish, Northern Ireland. and England. But no, my mum's parents are... Scottish Indian and my mum's mother is an English lady. Dad is Indian Creole. So tea is very central to me. And even when we were living in London, my mother, whenever we'd come home, she'd say, would you like a cup of tea? And then she'd make a cup of tea for us. My son still enjoys having a nice cup of tea. Tea time. I remember at four o'clock in the afternoon living in Calcutta, the servant lady would bring a loaf of bread We'd have a slice of bread with butter, 
and a nice cup of tea. I, I think that is a nice example because when we think of tea in the Netherlands, very often it's we, we treat it like coffee, a way to perhaps get some caffeine or get something at the day started, but it's not as much for some a ritual or, or as you describe it, tea yeah. time. I think tea plays a very different role in, in the lives of, I don't want to say British people, but in that, that culture. So can you tell us a bit more about it? I think tea time was a time for, if I'm not wrong to say this, the middle class, middle upper class families had tea time to celebrate with their children and grandchildren. The working class would have tea time, whatever was left over from the middle and upper class, and it would be their tea time. But it was always a time in the afternoon at four o'clock. Hence, the cream teas became so popular with scallywags and the high teas. I think we're the only one in Holland that serves a cream tea, which is a scone and a sandwich and a cup of tea. I have to also say that our high teas are very delicious <laughs> for that lovely price of 19 euros and 50 cents. How, how do you tell a good scone or a good cup of tea? How can you distinguish between what well, average and really a proper cup of tea, a proper cream tea or a proper scone? A good scone is a nice, crumbly, spongy, but not to the extent sponge as in a sponge cake, but so crumbly, spongy, fresh when you cut it, you put the cream on, you put the, uh, the jam on, and you just go, hmm, that's a nice scone. What, what are some of the responses from people when you take them on this tea journey or when, on this, this journey of having, taking more time to appreciate British tea cuisine or British tea culture? You see, the Dutch are very fond of England. When you talk to a Dutch person, they have a connection somewhere the daughter or the granddaughter, the son, the grandson, either a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a wife or a husband, uh, married an English person somewhere. And they have this very close connection. And the Dutch and English are very close. They will have tea with us and they will say these wonderful things. Sometimes, you know, it's nice to also hear that people might not like what we do. I can't please everyone. The ones I do please, I'm grateful for, they come back to us. The ones I can't please, I explain to them, I'm sorry that we're not your cup of tea. That's it. That's a, that's a lovely expression. So if you had to describe yourself as a, a cup of tea with all these mixed origins and mixed flavors, what, what type of tea would you be? The Prince of Wales. The Prince of Wales. Yeah. It's a lovely black tea. I have it strong. And would it be with milk or without with milk? Uh, my grandmother used to have Darjeeling. She was a very clever, cunning lady. She would give English lessons to high society in India that had houses up in the foothills of the Himalayas and in Darjeeling and in Assam and every year six half a year she would get a box of Darjeeling and a box of Assam and she would give it out as presents to everyone so these two teas in our house was very prominent Assam or Darjeeling to be drunk without milk because it's the first pluck you don't drink it with milk because of the, the purity of the flavor? You don't want to spoil that? Correct. Yeah. So, do you know the story of why the British drink or, or added milk to their, to their tea? Yes, I do actually. And I think you might know this. Please, please do share. When the English used to live out in India, they would drink... I'm so happy you asked me this. When the English lived out in India, the tea was so strong that the tannins would coat their the lining of their tummy. Yeah. And the milk broke down 
the strength of the tea. They didn't allow them to feel nauseous or to feel sick. That's my theory of the teas out in India. That's, that's what I know. And I think my son is probably going to be Googling it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, uh, the official word? Is there an official word? The official word is that the cups back then, the fine china, was so delicate that if you added hot boiling water to them, they would crack. So they used what? to add the milk first so that the temperature would be sustainable for the cup. But the milk first now is a sin. Exactly, yeah. Sacrilege. So okay. the delicate china, we, we, we have both... I think that's... Let's make sense. It, well, I don't know, because I never heard that. If it's to add to the story, fine, I can understand that. But this is a story that I've heard from my English grandmother living out in India, where because the tea was so strong, they added milk to it. So I'd like to actually that look into sense. that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we might do a, a little follow-up on this, I think, like a, or, or the next time that people visit here for either a takeaway or a high tea, that by that time you've found the story out and you can share the story yourself with them. I would love to, Have yeah. Been. So if people want to stop by to visit to learn more about Scallywax, where can they go? Where, where should they go? If pe- Well, you know, when this goes out on your radio program, I think you are aware... A lot of people would have, they just need to hear the voice and they go, oh, that's Richard. Yeah? They will know where to come. Scallywags, pay attention to this. There is only one Scallywags, and that's in The Hague with Richard, Adam, Jeffrey, and the list goes on. Scallywags and the Huxleyblough in The Hague. People who are curious and who perhaps from the international community have never heard this beautiful voice, they will sure be able to find you there. Thank you. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to add to, to the people listening like that? Yes, I'm a great fan of My Fair Lady, and I'll give you a little excerpt of this. Look at her, a prisoner of the gutter, condemned by every syllable she utters. By right she should be taken out and hung for that cold-blooded murderer of the English tongue. Gone. I ask you, sir, what kind of word is that? It's our and gone that keep her in the place, not her wretched clothes and dirty face. Why can't the English teach their children how to speak or teach their children how to drink a nice proper cup of tea? See you at Scallywags. Love you all. Play safe. Be safe. God bless. I really enjoyed that interview, Tom. It was, well, I I must say, I do know Richard. And when you told me you were going to interview him, I did expect something uh, fairly dramatic. And uh, I think we weren't disappointed. Um, he actually has an excellent voice for radio, <laughs> but uh, he does also. Uh, I've been to Scallywags, and he does do a very good tea. I've often gone there for scones and tea, and his scones are excellent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I like is is he said it as well, and I think the the, the passion sort of shines through. I mean, he said they've been at this location for twenty seven years, and twenty seven years, some of the recipes have gone unchanged, like the scones, and I think. There is a certain charm to doing something in a certain way that people are familiar with and that really focuses on flavor and on quality, uh, like he said in the beginning, is um, that people come here, they feel welcome, and at the end they have not only nice food for a good price, but they the, the check isn't too big. So I, I think there is definitely a certain charm, uh, uh, plus the, the design is just beautiful. Well, certainly since he moved to his new his new premises, which are much larger, uh, it, it's he's really yeah he's really embraced it, and the decor is is special, and it does feel as if you're stepping into a little piece of England mm-hmm. when you step inside. And yes, I, I also thought it was interesting the 
the discussion you had about the notion of ritual. And I think it's true that tea and, and tea and scones is a, well, it's quite an old ritual now, but it's something that's still very popular. One, one thing that I do have to ask though, Zoe, is are you familiar with the story about like why the English add milk to their tea? Or do you yes, I mean, I, I've heard story? different, I've heard that it was too strong on its own. Uh, I also heard that it was started in the British Army and they had to give the British soldiers the, the sort of the cheaper tea, which was very bitter and strong. And therefore, in order to take off some of that bitterness, they added a drop of milk. Yeah. So that's now, I think, three different Versions well, it's of- interesting because the, the story that you mentioned, that's the one I was familiar with as well. But uh, Adam, the, the son of Richard, was also there. And he looked it up and said, well, okay, it was because of the delicate China. So there, there's many stories. And if you as a listener have an idea, then please do contact us and let us know Absolutely. if you have a, a, an addition to the story or one of these. Uh, Absolutely. I'm Tom. And I'm Zoe. And thank you for stalking with us this evening. Next week on Stalk Talks, we'll focus on the Stalk of the Week, which is Lawrence Cock, and he is head of foreign direct investment at the Hague Business Agency. And he's going to tell us a bit more about how Brexit is affecting business here in the Hague. And Tom, I believe you will move your focus on to coffee. I know you're a tea fan, but there are lots of coffee lovers here in the Hague, and that includes my good self. Yeah, perhaps uh, uh, in- involuntary slightly, but uh, I'm, I'm indeed, I'm a, a huge fan of tea. And if it were up to me, we would perhaps be doing four weeks of, of tea and coffee. And you're right. Uh, and next week, we're going to dive into the other side of hot beverages that help you start your day and coffee and exploring that further. Sounds good. Thank you for stalking with us this evening, especially after some of the new Corona restrictions. Please tune in again next week for more fun frolics and some new and timeless stories right here in the city of peace and justice.